0: To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoie and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime podcasts, pop culture, and this week, nothing but the hits. We go to Motown for the Murder for Hire podcast, Hitman, then Network TV's biggest true crime personality brings his signature style to the thing about... (laughs) joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real life husband true crime co-author and the podcaster i married kevin flynn hello kevin
2: rebecca
3: (laughs) it sounds like You're having a good day.
1: (laughs) I am. But am I?
3: (laughs) Let me lean up against this tree and we'll talk about it.
1: Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and our favorite Certified Cat Lady Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Good evening, Rebecca. And finally, our resident cynic, who I have under good authority is not actually a White House whistleblower, the author behind (laughs) the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patriot Book Club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby.
4: Hello. Rebecca,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't even. I can't even. I just. I, I, we're going to talk about Keith Morrison and the thing about Pam in the second half of the podcast, but it's already leaching in to our first half content in a big way. <laughs> yeah. It's very exciting. Uh, before we start the show, I just want to do a couple quick plugs uh, today on the Crime Writers on a Patreon after show for our Patreon heaps. We're going to be talking about Toby's induction into the patriarchy, a probably bogus making a murderer confession, and I am totally going to spoil the Handmaid's Tale sequel and tell you guys all about it in the after show today. So that's what you can get if you join our Patreon. You can also get a brand new episode of Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and of course, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Now, Kevin, you wanted to do some uh, thank yous, I believe, yes?
3: Yeah. Um, as I mentioned last time, this year I am, again, doing a walkathon in high-heel shoes. It's called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. It benefits the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. And folks have been kind enough to uh, donate a little money to it. And I said that I would uh, give them shout-outs if they donated. So this is as of... Thursday of the previous week when we are recording this, so let me just give a quick shout-out to the following folks. Kelsey Granning, Lauren Hawkins, Teresa R., Michael O'Neill, Jennifer Hess, Dave Fisk, Katie Hinton, Haley Rumback, Aaron Boyle, Shannon Parker-Havenhill, Aaliyah Renee Chiappodice, Janelle Vreeland, Mary Ann Rogers, Susie, Jennifer Perry, Bruce Assam, Dave Levine, Catherine Mallory, Christine Martin, Ben and Noel Bruning, Rachel Harrison, Andrea Price, Lori Collins, Melissa Heidenfeld, Jim Bois, Lori, Wendy Martin, Kylie McElvin, Janet Varney. Janet Varney? Yes. <laughs> Hello. Peggy Malone, Hunchley PC Immigration Law Firm, <laughs> Lisa G. Miller, Samantha Leaf, Dana Inskeep, Angela Buster, Caroline Allie Marinaro, Stephanie Tyson, Devaney Angel, And Christina, I have also at least a dozen anonymous donors, and matching those donations is one Rebecca Lavoie. That's
1: right. I threw in 250 bucks of my own personal money.
3: You mean our money?
1: You know who I didn't hear in that list? Who? Toby Ball and Laura Pricker. Fuckers. Oh, Oh. Step up, guys. Throw in five bucks. It's going to kill you? Well, we'll say I don't know. It might.
5: I mean, I had to buy all that skunk stuff last week, so, you
2: know.
1: <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Kevin, make sure to put that link in our show notes if anyone else wants to jump in and support you in your noble fundraising for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire, okay?
3: Thanks. And that's going to be on Wednesday, October 2nd, and I'll be sending out photos of myself and my blisters.
1: Yes. And you got to keep raising that goal because you keep passing your goals.
3: I know. I just wanted to make like Fifty bucks, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to about two thousand. So it's thanks, very everybody. exciting.
1: It's very exciting. All right, well, let's begin the show, shall we? It's time to review our first podcast of the evening. I'm going to tell you about this book I found.
6: If you saw it on a shelf, you might think it was a comic book or a silly pulp novel. The cover is purple, with a James Bond, Dick Tracy looking guy on the front, wearing a bright yellow suit and a fedora. He's holding up a gun with a silencer attached. And behind him, there's this red outline of a body. And on the back cover is a crude drawing of handcuffs, a bottle of poison, a knife, some red gloves, and that same gun. The book's title even sounds kind of ridiculous. It's called Hitman, a technical manual for independent contractors.
1: What if a book could give you how-to instructions on being an assassin? And what if someone used that book to commit a murder? That's the story behind iHeartRadio's Hitman. Host Jasmine Morris tells us about an obscure book titled Hitman, The Technical Manual for Independent Contractors, in which author Rex Farrell explains how to be a killer for hire.
6: Rex Farrell has very specific tips for the aspiring contract killer. He writes, step by step, you will learn where to find employment, how much to charge, and what
1: you can and cannot do with the money you earn." The book's blueprint seems to fit a triple homicide case in Maryland. But who would put out a contract hit on a mom, her disabled son, and his nurse? Perhaps it's the woman's ex-husband, former Motown record engineer Lawrence Horn. By the early 90s, Lawrence and Millie Horn's divorce and the
6: subsequent custody battle had definitely gotten messy.
5: My mother didn't trust him at all. She felt like he was up to something. I mean, she made it very clear he couldn't come in to see Trevor, especially when she wasn't at home.
1: The podcast follows the stories of the hitman, one who used music and one who used a gun, as well as a discussion about whether a step-by-step guide to getting away with murder is speech that ought to be protected. Now, we will be talking about plot points from Hitman, so to stay spoiler-free, look for the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, when you were first listening to Hitman a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. you said to me... You know, we complain about a lot of stuff about a lot of podcasts. And this podcast does not have a lot of the things that we complain about in the podcast. What did you mean by that comment?
3: Well, I felt like the reporter did like all of the things that we're always talking about. I mean, she was uh, very transparent about how this stuff was going on, why they did certain things, why some things weren't available, like, you know, music from Motown. You know, they didn't want to license it. And we could have done an awful lot with this uh, surveillance investigation, but we're consolidating it. I think it's written pretty well. And yeah, you know, all the usual picky stuff that we pull at, I have to say, you know, she's passing the test.
1: Okay. So one of the things that I wanted to ask about is this idea of this book, right? This like guide to how to be a hitman. There is in episode one, this kind of examination of this Paladin Publishers and the existence of this book and they tease it. They don't really like, I don't don't think, uh, flesh it out completely and maybe the podcast will get back to that. But this idea of whether or not the First Amendment should protect a book like this. And there's this idea, what does someone in the podcast say, like, a book never killed anybody or whatever. I've never heard that argument before, right? Uh, But what do you think, Toby? Do you think that we should be thinking about whether or not a book like this should exist? Or is this not really what this podcast is about?
4: I mean, I think there are, you know, I guess there's probably a First Amendment question, although I don't really think so. I mean, I I guess you can – I think it's more of an ethical thing than a legal thing. I I assume there's other books that are like this. Like, isn't the Anarchist Cookbook? Doesn't that, like, teach you how to make bombs -hmm. and stuff? Um, I mean, it's a little hard without actually seeing it. Uh, To me, just sort of what they talk about, it kind of sounded like somebody wanted to write a book about a hitman. It was just like – You know, plotting and characters and stuff is just a pain in the ass. So I'll just, like, pretend I know what I'm talking about and (laughs) just, like, write a little, you know, manual or whatever. Because it did seem, you know, it's like, read read detective novels. Maybe you'll find something cool in there. You know, the newspaper can be your best friend. Is this really hitman advice? Is that, like, what pro-hitmen do is, like, read the newspaper looking for, like, divorces amongst rich people that they can maybe hit up for contract killings? Again, I think the whole, the the Paladin press seems like a little sketchy in a lot of ways, but I I don't know. First Amendment stuff. This just didn't seem like it was like that serious a menace. And Mm. when they kind of talk about how she doesn't like to let it touch like other things on her desk, I was like, I don't know. Just seems a little bit. Over the top.
1: (laughs) Well, I will say there is an episode of the Outstanding Podcast Criminal that's also about this book and somewhat about this case. It's called The Manual. So if anyone wants to hear more about that part of the story, uh, the book itself, I, I would encourage you to check out that criminal episode called The Manual. Now, Laura, your first note to me, Kevin says, you know, he feels like this reporter does everything we've told podcasters to do. Yeah. Your first comment to me was you just couldn't get into this for some reason.
5: Yeah. So that was the thing. It was like there was nothing like everything was like the production quality was great. The reporter was great. They had access to everybody. But for some reason, this particular story, I just couldn't. It just wasn't grabbing me for some reason. And I, I, you know, I think... So I actually went back and listened to the first episode a second time because I was like, okay, I got to see if maybe I was just driving and I zoned out or something. But I think what it was is to me, I feel like there's like two different stories here. And I feel like the manual itself... Is like one story, really. And this actual killing and this murder, I mean, I I understand they're tying it to that, but to me, I felt like the murder should lead and that the, you know, manual's a smaller piece of this story because I felt like the, the stories just for me weren't they weren't working together for me
1: yeah you know there was a disjointedness to me about it too and I will like I just want to underline what Kevin says the podcast is produced very well these iheart podcasts sound fantastic um the host is great Jasmine Morris she's a public radio person she's actually a StoryCorps producer if anyone's familiar with StoryCorps they take these like hours and hours and hours of tape of people talking and turn it into these like two-minute segments that air on Morning Condition on public radio, Kevin. You know who I used love to also. Yeah. You know who used to be a StoryCorps producer. Who? Jason Moon, oh. host oh, of Bear brook, Bear brook yeah. yeah, he was an intern at StoryCorps, and he was also a producer on the show. So, it's just, funny, they
3: had those two guys talking about the time they stuffed those kids in a barrel.
1: Oh. <laughs> no, they did not. Good that times. was not a thing. Uh, but I will say, you know, when she, when she made that nod to, you know, I pitched a story several years ago to a podcast that was doing an episode about amateurs. I was like, oh, she's talking about the Jack hit episode of this American life. She pitched for that. Um, and then it turned into this. I mean, it was like, it felt very like public radio home to me. And And the podcast does sound great. But I will say I agree with Lara in that um, the episodes are not long. They're, what, like 35 minutes long? Mm -hmm. They feel a lot longer to me than that. Like there's just a lot of – it's not meandering. It's actually in-depth detail about that part of the story. But I also fell in front of myself having to go back and listen again too. And it wasn't the writing and it wasn't the production. And then I came to realize I think it's because they're trying to do two things at once here, the book and the case. Yeah. And I am not sure we, you know, the book may, could have been an aside, but it should it have been the framing device or should the case have been the framing device? Yeah.
3: Well, I think as they went along, they, I mean, I think they focused on the book primarily in episode one and kind of just transitioned into the actual case. I don't, they weren't really, I mean, it, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but they weren't certainly bopping back and forth from what's going on with the book to latest developments in, in the investigation.
1: No, but they did spend an awful lot of time setting up the book stuff at the yeah, beginning. and yeah. the title, and they lead off with it.
4: And they're coming back to it in the next episode, I think they teased. I mean, it's hard to, at least for me, to say they're not connected well enough because it's not done yet. And it seems like they may be going back. I mean, it seems like the rest of it has been, you know, well thought out enough that I'm willing to kind of suspend judgment on that and give them the chance to, to show where the connections are. If they don't, like, that'll be disappointing. You know, I'm somewhat optimistic.
1: All right. Well, I don't ask some questions about the, the case, because I think the case really is the heart of the podcast. So, Laura, yes. if you were to hire a hitman, <laughs> OK, <laughs> is it better for you or worse for you? To create an alibi where you're literally videotaping yourself watching TV in your apartment while you know the hitman is committing the crime. <laughs> oh my god, I that I just
5: I can't even I can't even it's that's it's like something that Pam in our second review would do <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Pam, uh, the thi- yeah, the
1: thing about Lawrence.
3: Didn't you just go to a gas station or have an argument with a uh, a waiter?
1: Yeah, just be like in a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> Do you like the thing they always do in Law & Order where they're at the bar ordering some rare drink that no one ever orders? Yeah. The whole thing about that guy
5: and and even when he was like videotaping ahead of time to gather intel for the hitman I was like oh my god that poor kid who was involved with sort of pointing out where things were.
6: And then there's this moment in the tape Lawrence is picking the girls up near the driveway Where's Trevor? Which one? On the left.
4: That
3: over here? Up front, up there. Up front,
6: up Where is Trevor? Which one is his room? Where? Up front.
1: Well, speaking of tapes, Kevin, we actually have the hitman himself, uh, James Edward Perry, who allegedly read this book that should have made him an awesome hitman, and then he ends up being freaking awful at covering up his hitman tracks. It's
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they kind of get him because the hotel where... And the the,
1: recorded phone call?
3: Well, there's that. But I I do like, you know, sort of the detail of the the book says, you know, check in under an assumed name. (laughs) And like, (laughs) it's America, man. What the hell? Like, where are you going to check in? Oh, my name's John Smith. Well, we need to see some
1: ideas. Yeah, my name's John Smith, but here's my credit card that says Toby Ball. Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) It It was a good example of sort of like where the real world and the fantastical world just kind of... You know, bump up against each other. And that's the kind of friction that gets you caught.
4: Right. And another reason why that Hitman book probably wasn't written by a real Hitman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the fact that I think
1: the guy who wrote the Hitman book told the publisher that he wasn't a real Hitman, right?
4: Right. Yeah. And his uh, name is Rex Farrell. King, yes. King Wild. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think that would be Toby Ball's Great, name. great
3: pen name. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I do want to talk about some of the more you know sensitive material that's sort of at the heart of this. And I think that the podcast does do a good job of uh, telling the victim's story. And I don't know about you guys, but I felt freaking awful for Lawrence's other daughter. He's got a couple of other daughters, mm. but the one that they interview extensively on in the podcast, Trevor's sister, who basically like, fielded the call from her dad and then told him that her mom and Trevor would be home the day of the murder. Tiffany got a phone call to her dorm room at Howard University.
5: He never called me, but he asked me whether my mom was going to be flying out the next morning because he wanted to talk to my sister. And so I told him that my sister, if she wasn't home, would probably be at my aunt's house. I called my mom Right after I got off the phone with him, he was, like,
1: searching for information, which I found odd. That's freaking awful. Is it not? It is. Yes. I don't know a way to discuss it. It's just awful. Next <laughs> <Great Yeah>. question. But <laughs> 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 well,
3: she's a real sympathetic character. She did bring, you know, good color as far as describing her mom and her dad as a, as a firsthand witness to their relationship. You know, she was able to bring to life some stories that otherwise you wouldn't have. Because certainly, you know, if I just say on its face, "Oh yeah, there's this guy, and uh, he uh, paid to have his his ex-wife and uh, disabled son killed," you know, you're gonna wonder a little more about what's going on with that guy. You know, it's it's a very that's a very complicated story. So you know, give me a little more detail, and I think it was important that they had her to kind of. Give some of that.
1: I will say I learned a very important lesson from both this podcast and the thing about Pam, which we'll be talking about. (laughs) Don't say shit in a deposition that could hurt you in a criminal proceeding. It's true. Yeah. Civil depositions will get you, right?
5: Yeah. Impeachable, uh, you know, statements. You know, that's (laughs) something I used to spend a lot of time going over was past statements that people had made to different sources so that when a criminal case went to trial, if there was anything different, oops,
1: You know, yeah, or on Facebook, but I don't think they had that at this
3: time. Is there something like that that happened in the Garrett Phillips? There was,
1: yes. The uh, the suspect in the Garrett Phillips case gave a deposition that they used against him in in the the criminal case. Yes, a civil case. He was basically suing the cops for for pursuing as a suspect. That's what it was. And they used that deposition to what they thought was a trap into making incriminating statements, which were not incriminating. Which, by the way, it always just makes me think, you know, I'm hosting the addendum of Undisclosed right now. Mm -hmm. And the case that they're covering of this, uh, you know, probably wrongfully convicted guy is the ultimate example of, like, anything you do in your life would convince cops that you are a murderer if they've already decided that you're the murderer, you know? Yeah. And that kind of seems to be what happened, you know, in the Gary Phillips case. uh, But, you know, not so much in this case, because everything these guys did did in fact underline the fact that they were the bad guys, right?
3: Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, if you're listening to this podcast and police think that you're a murderer, they're going to say it's because you're listening to podcasts. That's right. Like exactly. That's right.
1: So one thing that I want to touch on real quick, the final episode that uh, we were able to listen to as a time of this recording is the Slayer's Rule about that Maryland law that you cannot be the beneficiary of someone's life insurance policy if you've murdered them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that no duh? I mean, what do we think of that law? Like, the fact that there actually has to be a law that
5: says that is, like, fucking absurd. I'm sorry. Like, how is that not? I mean, I know it's like, it just seems, like, absurd that somebody would actually be awarded a life insurance policy in that case, but.
4: If you don't have a law, who knows?
5: Exactly. Like, I mean, you know, I better watch out. Jeez. I don't know if there's a law like that in New Hampshire. Ken might take me out.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he better find out ahead of time. Yeah. So what do we think about this, uh, this teaser that came out? Because we had been waiting for Episode 5 for some time. And instead we get a teaser saying, hey, we've got some new reporting and, it, you know, kind of explaining why they've been away. I would have to say that, if anything, you know, can we just say that that signals, again, some really thoughtful reporting that instead of just you know slapping some stuff together, you know that it was worth it to pump the brakes on release so that you could get the episode together that you want to get.
1: I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I hope so only because I know this story has been done a bunch of other places. It's been done on other podcast episodes. It's been done on true crime TV shows. I don't think this is a case that's like never been explored before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the sourcing in this podcast really is impeccable. They have they have everybody. They have everybody you would need to have to report this story. They really do.
4: They got Mary Wilson.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's like a Motown yeah. legend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's true. They literally have everybody. Um, I forgot about that. That was an extraordinary little moment. And I will say, like, the idea that the Motown people will just let you use the music, no, you got to pay for that shit, unfortunately. Unless, no,
3: they, even with the pen, they just, you know. Unless you're being, unless you. Li- they would not said, no, we're not going okay, to license it
1: Okay, they wouldn't license it. I thought you said they wouldn't give it to us, is what I thought well, were like, Of that's course they they're mean. not going to yeah. give yeah. it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, yes, they literally had everybody. So I like to think it's because they're going to bring something new to this and not because of some other problem, like some producer who got another job or something like that and can't work on this anymore. Yeah. So I, I do like to think that because it does seem earnest in its production. Well, so. as
3: long as we're in this, the spoiler full part of our review, I mean, we know that Horn gets convicted, he goes to jail, and he dies in jail. So as far as new reporting on that part of the story, it's probably unlikely but I'm wondering if this has something to do with the book. You think? What other new area possibly could be? You but know, what were the other? other, other I'm case intrigued.
1: That's tied to the book, maybe.
3: Could be. Could be. If they find Rex Farrell or. Oh, that you would know, be You know, another case, right? Like, who knows?
4: If I if I was just, like, falling behind or, like, got the flu or something, I would definitely say I'm still reporting.
1: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will say, the book thing did remind me of that thing in Unbelievable, uh, which is true, by the way, because I, I did so much digging after we finished reviewing Unbelievable. I did even more digging in the vortex to find out, like, what was true and what wasn't. And that book, The Forensics of Rape, that they talk about in Unbelievable, that, like, they found in, like, dozens of rapists houses. Right. Um, you know, that was an earnest forensics book. So the idea that like that shouldn't have been written as an instruction manual for law enforcement because rapists would then buy it and use it. It to me sort of underlines the other side of the first, you know, first amendment argument, which is that, you know, you can't, it's not the same. And people like draw a false equivalency here between like books and guns or whatever. But like a book literally can't kill somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, a book literally can't rape somebody. So there's a whole interesting thing there that, you know, it just reminded me of that.
3: You really don't have a good imagination about what you can use a book
1: for. It's true. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I can slap
3: it. you around with a book enough. And often, yeah,
5: you could knock someone out. I think we should play a fun game because I really liked the titles of some of the books they had. Like, B&E from A to Z. (laughs) Be Your Own Undertaker. So I'm sure Kevin, like what, I mean, we could come up with some fun titles that they should have released that they didn't publish. (laughs) (laughs) How not to film yourself at home while you're actually committing a murderer
1: (laughs) so you don't get caught.
3: 15 uses of tripwire.
1: Mm. (laughs) All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's give this podcast, Hitman, a thumbs up or thumbs down review. So Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for Hitman from iHeartMedia? I'm going thumbs sideways. Not that it's like it's very well done and
5: everything. But for me, it's just I felt like it should have been two separate stories and hopefully it ties together. But I just I feel lukewarm about it at this point. I just I couldn't really get into the story. What
1: about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Hitman from iHeartMedia?
4: I give it a thumbs up. I thought it was good. Like I'm kind of surprised that that you guys didn't like it as much. Um, I, you know, one thing we didn't talk about. You know, there's some interesting characters in this. It seems like Lawrence Horn, and then uh, the you know quote unquote street preacher who he hires to be his hitman, are like characters from like an Elmore Leonard novel. Sort of colorful people with with interesting backgrounds and stuff. Which is not to minimize sort of the horror of what happened, but. You know, they're not sort of run-of-the-mill criminals in in that case. they more interesting than that. I, I thought it was really good. So a thumbs up.
1: Uh, I'm giving it a thumbs up, mostly for production. I love the host. I love the way the show is put together. It's very competent. I didn't love it. And I think it has a lot to do with the stuff Laura and I were talking about. Like, maybe it's just not a story for me or the way they're putting it together uh maybe i would have maybe wanted more of kind of like the book thing or less of it just felt a little bit of balance to me but that being said i think it's a very competent podcast i would listen to another podcast that jasmine morris hosted i would listen to another podcast from these producers who put this together Uh, it has all the things including uh one of the supremes right which is like you can't complain about that so yeah thumbs up for me not a huge one but one nonetheless what about you kevin
3: I'm also a thumbs up uh, for many of the same reasons. I, I think that Jasmine does a great job uh, writing and re- researching this podcast. Uh, she's got great delivery, and that I love the fact that you know she's very thoughtfully uh, describing and the, how their reporting is being done. You know, it's a good look at a at a case of a guy who uh, just couldn't do things for himself. Why?
1: Moving on. Fans of NBC's true crime staple, Dateline, will recognize the story of Pam Hupp. The primetime show has featured her case multiple times. Now they're doing a podcast-exclusive treatment of the story hosted by the unparalleled Keith Morrison.
0: Russ Faria was charged with a crime that he swore he did not commit.
3: No,
1: no, I did not do that. I do not
3: know... How this happened. I did not do this. I was not involved with it.
0: Just after Christmas, Troy, Missouri, 2011. His beloved wife was brutally stabbed to death 56 times.
3: The jury was left with no alternative. And in most people's words, the husband did it. Who else would have?
1: Beginning in 2011 with the death of Betsy Faria, police zone in on her husband, Russ. Investigators are convinced of his involvement in part because of the damning stories passed on by Betsy's co-worker and friend, Pam. But it's not an open and shut case, and Pam's motives are not altruistic.
0: Her exact words is, I advanced on the man and fired until I heard click, click, click. We thought we knew how this story ended. How wrong we were. You now have this money and have not turned any of this money over to the family with the kids. correct. That That's a huge problem. It's unbelievable.
1: This case is obviously a favorite of the Dateline team, some of whom became part of the story. But the star of the show is undoubtedly Morrison, who leans into his cheesy persona and adds, dare we say, a little bit of fun.
0: We wouldn't be here. If the answer was that easy. In my opinion, an innocent man got charged with murder and then it sorted a snowball from there. I'm Keith Morrison. I've been a correspondent for Dateline NBC for 25 years. And in that time, I've never seen a story quite like this before.
1: Now we are going to be talking about plot points through episode five of The Thing About Pam. So to remain spoiler free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Kevin Flynn. News Keith Morrison. Go.
3: Okay, I got to say that I, I do not watch Dateline NBC.
1: Occasionally we do, but only if it's on. Like we don't, we don't appointment watch it, right?
3: We do not appointment watch it. Uh, we have uh, good friends who uh, podcast about it. And, you know, it, it, it does have a sort of kitsch. And Keith Morrison embodies that. And I think not having spent a lot of time with him, he really leans in to that persona in this podcast and it works. I have to say, as horrible as it sounds, this is fun. It's fun to listen to him. It's more fun than even this weird case mm. is just to have him tell it.
1: What did you call him, Kevin? What was your nickname for Keith Morrison in this podcast? He's like
3: Murder Santa Claus. He's <laughs> like, hmm, well, he was a bad boy. <laughs> I think yeah.
1: Larbricker Keith Morrison.
5: Go, I love him. But now I'm hearing him everywhere. So this morning I was going out for a run into the woods and I had just started reading this book about a woman who gets abducted while she's running. And all of a sudden it was like I could hear Keith Morrison narrating what was going to happen to me when my body was found in the woods. But I love it because like listening to it, it's just so easy easy to follow the story and it's just i don't want to call it enter it is it's entertaining to listen to it just because of he he drops those fun little asides and little editorial comments in from time to time and i'm like (laughs) you know i'm like good one keith Uh, you know i just couldn't stop listening
1: i was like obsessed all right toby ball keith morrison go
4: i i you know He's fine, I guess. I I find him more distracting than fun or helpful or whatever. I just get so, like, thrown by his intonations and, like, pauses in weird spots. And, you know, like Kevin said, he's kitschy. I mean, he's he's not my cup of tea. You know, he does add sort of the, you know, fun factor, I guess. But I thought the strengths of this podcast weren't necessarily his narration.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am not like a Dateline fan except for the kitsch factor of it. You know, I do love uh, the Date with Dateline podcast. I think those ladies are brilliant and they've basically pointed out to me all the stuff that's crazy about Dateline. But Keith Morrison's asides in this podcast freaking kill me. I love them. I love them so much. Rebecca, why don't you
3: drop some tape?
1: Okay, I'm gonna drop some tape.
0: And Pam's voice was almost breezy as she ran through her routine. I
1: took care of my dog, fed him, walked him, uh, got in the shower, and headed out, and I had to get
5: gas.
0: So I walked the dog, got gas, used her loyalty card for her daily soda. A
3: real little one down yeah, the street where I go every morning and get my soda, and
0: you get one free after so many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's also his little literary aside.
0: I namely started watching this movie called The
3: Road. The Road? Yeah.
0: But it was boring. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Boring? Well, to each his own.
3: <laughs> I think that was, I think much the audience that was lost on that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, the other thing I want to talk about is the format of the podcast, because I will say of all of the cases uh, that we have talked about on this show that have been covered in podcasts, and we just talked about one in the first half of this show, I do feel like this podcast in many ways, even if you hate Keith Morrison and don't love the delivery of it, is kind of a masterclass in telling a story and making it easy to follow. Like they're... They're basically covering one aspect of the story in every episode. They're not being repetitious. It's just very, very focused. Laura, it sounds like you agree.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, they've been reporting on this. I saw, I was looking this up. This is, aside from O.J. Simpson and Benet Ramsey, this case is the case they have reported on the most on Dateline ever. Um, they've covered it like four times. So you know they probably have. I can't even imagine how much tape – how many interviews they've done but to listen to this podcast you know it's not that you wouldn't know that but that's not like you're not getting you know overburdened by too much information because they're simply telling the story and doing it in a way that the story keeps flowing and it keeps going and you've got enough information without having so much that you're getting bogged down in the story so it keeps up
1: the pace. Flo from our Facebook group says, as a writer, I'm intrigued by the episode length because they managed to pack a lot to me, or so it seems, uh, in compressed episode time, which makes the focus really singular on one wackadoo facet at a time. I'm not sure if every other podcast seems bloated now or whether we're just out of the episode just when it's starting to cook. I don't know. It's making me question everything. So I guess not everybody agrees that it's super tight and super good. But that is something that stuck out to me. You know, I edit undisclosed. And they pack a volume of information into like an hour long podcast. And as the audio editor, I'm just like, man, I wish you guys had included me in the script part because I would just say like, this could have been three episodes. I do feel like this podcast is very efficient in that way.
3: You just got to tell them they could have made three times as much money.
1: (laughs) Kevin, you have a bunch of notes that you sent me about the case itself, right? Yeah. The prosecution's theory of the original case. The The uh, fuck with that? Leah Askey who's like everyone's in on it he left the house he went back had sex with his wife like all that stuff What'd you think about that?
3: I thought it was crazy it reminded me of uh, the Garrett Phillips documentary where he, he, you know they just sort of had it in their head that this is their guy and so they're gonna make everything else sort of fit that narrative and the fact that like, you know he's my alibi no that just shows he's, he's your accomplice. And here's, you know, here's my phone call. It's like, no, no, you don't sound right in that phone call. And then the stuff with the cops where they did the the inadmissible polygraph, but the video and the audio recordings both disappeared.
1: But you said to trust me that it happened. Yeah.
3: And, you know, they said, oh, the camera malfunctioned, but it definitely took photos of blood trails and footprints and... No, Just it didn't trust actually. Me. Yeah. Trust me. There's blood there. No, actually, here is the this, this stuff, and it shows you know that there is no blood there, and you know, and that sort of sort of thing that Dateline doesn't necessarily do an awful lot of. They're much more about here's the bad guy, and we caught him. It's not the social justice thing. where, are like, saying, hey, here's where the system went wrong, and somebody, you know, was uh, wrongfully accused. They don't do an awful lot of that.
1: One thing I really liked about this podcast, even though. I think, and this is why I want to throw this Toby's way, uh, there's something to sort of, like, pick apart here a little bit, is they do play Russ's 911 call, which is, like, allegedly the linchpin of the prosecution's case in his trial. And his call sounds like this. Russell, what's going on there? I just got home from a friend's house, and and my my wife killed herself. Now, they just have the theory there that that's all fake, yada, yada, yada. But as we've discussed many times on this show, like, you don't know how you're going to be, right? But then, later in the podcast, in episode five, Pam commits another crime, and we hear her 911 <laughs> call. I'm just going to play that tape. Hey, hello, there's someone working in my house. Help. What's Help. the address you're at? Hello? Toby, do you think it's fair game to say that her 911 call actually sounds like total bullshit? Or am I now being one of the bad guys who's drawing needless conclusions, you know, based on my own biases?
4: You can be one of the bad guys and it can also be bad shit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the whole thing that that kind of blows it, even, even if you're like, well, maybe somebody would just like pretend that they were acting badly about this tragic thing that happened is when she's waits until the, until she's answered and like, <laughs> otherwise it's silent. And then she doesn't realize that they're, they're recording that part too. It's just, it's just so obviously bullshit. Help, help. Yeah. Help! Oh, don't do that. <laughs> the, the whole thing. Yeah. It was kind of weird.
3: Especially when she said, and action.
4: <laughs> it's like practice in front of the mirror a couple times. Just like <laughs> get it down, like I th- it, it felt like she probably had a, a piece of paper in front of her. It's like okay, now now pretend that you know he's trying to drag you out. Now stop. She cut a piece of rug out.
1: Yeah, she put her. She put yeah. a piece of carpet on top of her clean carpet yeah. so she could shoot him in, on, the, on the dirty carpet.
4: That was kind of an homage to Pam Smart, right?
1: Yes, oh, yeah. I forgot about that detail.
4: Oh, yeah. yeah, they didn't want to didn't want to get her new carpet bloody.
1: Now, Kevin, there's another case that this whole thing with Pam and the uh, the second murder that the podcast covers, it reminded me a lot of a book that you wrote. Uh, Pam trawled around a poor neighborhood looking for a hapless victim to use, I guess the plan was to frame Russ some more? Yeah. What's up with that?
3: I mean, it just shows like how obsessed Pam was with Russ and this money. She th- probably thought that the only way to convince people that she had nothing to do with Betsy's death was to somehow bring it back and show that Russ is a killer, which, you know, which isn't the case. And she did remind me a lot of Sheila Labar. And I'm sure Laura, because you know an awful lot about that case too, the idea that all the neighbors knew who she was and they were afraid of her and the cops had a special code for whenever they had to get called to her house. Yeah. Like so, that's that's just like Sheila. Well,
5: and I'll tell you, she I, I have a fun story about Sheila. So the farrier that used to cut my horse's feet used to also she had some horses um, out and epping at her farm, and and my farrier Bill had known her husband, the chiropractor, forever. So he was out there, you know, trimming the horse's feet one day, and Sheila came like running out of the house, going, "Bill, he's trying to kill me! He's trying to kill me!" And Bill's like, "Yep, it's just Sheila." Because it was like totally <laughs> bullshit. But she just did stuff
1: like that all the time. Like, like Pam was doing here. But yeah. we should say Sheila was a serial killer. And if you want to read more about her, you can buy Kevin's book.
3: That's right. <laughs> but if you... Uh, Wicked listen, intentions. But if you get to the, the next episode of the thing about Pam, you might find out that she is also a serial killer.
1: That's right. We don't know for sure that she isn't. Although it sounds like she might be, right? Yeah. So I want to talk about a character in the podcast that to me is the closest to Lara Bricker of any character we've ever encountered in a podcast. And that would be our good friend, Carol. No, no.
6: She was short, chunky. She was actually wearing a scrub top, if I remember correctly. It was blue. Short, blonde hair. And the look on her face, she had a permanent, like, grin, smile. Like, she, like it was just weird.
0: Weirder, she wasn't going anywhere. She just sat there, idling.
6: My dog, she's never growled in her life. She's growling. She's going crazy. So I walked done there was like, can I help you? You're kind of making my dog nuts. And she just kind of looked at me. and like, she asked me the weirdest thing. Do you babysit? First thing I thought was, who asks a stranger, especially in a trailer park, if they babysit?
1: So, Laura. Yes. Carol points out that just because she lives in a trailer park does not mean she's stupid. And then she proceeds to do a whole fucking sting against this stranger Who basically tries to pick her up, and she like immediately knows that something's up. She immediately lures Pam into a camera trap in her property so she can get a license plate. She arms herself with a knife up the sleeve. She asks the right questions, and then she gets the fuck out of that car the minute she realizes something's going wrong. Yeah, is she not Lara Bricker in that situation? Yes or no? Oh, she is. She is.
5: I love Carol. She's pretty awesome. So I was like, yeah, that's right. I would be doing the exact same thing. I mean, for example, this morning when I was having my Keith Morrison moment in the woods, I was like, okay, if somebody jumps out, where is a big stick I can fend them off with? Um, <laughs> <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> so um,
1: yes, it was pretty awesome. Kevin, what do you think about Carol?
3: Uh, I would say that I understand why Pam would think this way, because I never in a million years would believe that someone living in a trailer would have a high-tech security system. (laughs) But, hey, good on her.
1: Toby, what do you think of Pam's trying to draw Kathy, the Dateline producer, into her scheme by impersonating her as she's trying to pick up victims for this murder she's planning? Like, she literally, like, baited Kathy on camera. Say hi to Kathy. And then she's telling people, in a font, I mean... I don't want to say it's fun because obviously this is a nefarious person and real people died. But, like, she's basically using the cheesy stuff that Dateline does that she's been privy to to then try to lure in other people. Like, that was nuts, right?
4: It's more meta than I was expecting. Yes. Mm. (laughs) So I was actually, like, I'm glad that episode dropped uh, before we recorded because up until that episode, I was like, I don't understand why – We're spending all this time on this because it's not really all that interesting. But then it suddenly got interesting in the last episode.
1: Kevin, do you like all the behind the scenes stuff of how they make Dateline that they're inserting into this podcast? Yeah, I'm wondering
3: like how much of it they need. I mean, certainly if there wasn't the say hi to Kathy aspect, then, you know, nobody really cares about what's going on behind the scenes, Keith.
1: Uh, but <laughs> I do now, We already got
3: enough of you, <laughs>
1: but I like when Keith is like, just for the record, we don't pay for interviews on Dateline. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. I' gonna pay somebody to do a nine one one call
1: <laughs> and we never reenact nine one one calls. That's just not what we do, <laughs>
3: no. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I think that you know their inclusion is important and and it's good, it's funny, you know. This is what Dayline NBC does every week. They got a staff. They got people that fly all over the country looking for good true crime stories. And, you know, they're finally bringing some of that to the podcasting world.
1: Laura, uh, one final question for you. Yes. What is wrong with these cops? They have a suspect at the beginning who is not a suspect, but who should be because all signs point to yes with Pam yeah. immediately. Yeah. From minute one, she's the beneficiary of Betsy's money. Yeah. It's like everything points to her, right? I mean, is it is the idea that the cops are just so fixated on the husband must have done it narrative that they just can't look another way? Because we actually heard tape of the cops telling her what to do to make herself look less suspicious. Yeah.
5: No, I was – that was the thing as I was listening to this. I was trying to figure out – I'm like – she's like a little bit like Florida man with some of her antics and the things that she does that she's getting away with and I'm like she's not like the world's smartest criminal here but I feel like she got away with things a lot longer than she should have because it's like you're listening to that thing about the life insurance and I'm like beep beep hello like what's happening why is nobody following up on like it just was like she just talked her way out of it but you know the part I loved was when you know speaking of that life insurance policy again I was just like trying to kind of figure out what is her deal at first it's like oh well Betsy wanted me to take care of the daughters and then you had that other tape where she's like no I never said that no and I'm like yeah. do you not Deposition. know they're freaking recording you every time you yeah. go in like are you that stupid or but I don't know like what's
1: going on with her yeah I think we know what's going on with her it's the thing about so, Pam yeah. that's what's going on with her Yeah. Kevin, final question before we do our review. One of our listeners, Rebecca, asked in the Facebook group Do you think the thing about Pam should have had a different title? Because the title gives away part of the story. (laughs) Uh,
3: Perhaps. I mean, yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah,
1: different (laughs) title. Toby says yes. I just love the way Keith Morrison says her name Pam or (laughs) Pam Uh or the thing. About Pam. Uh, <laughs> just whole,
4: there's a Seinfeld episode of, where like, Kramer yeah. does that whole thing. He's like, Pam,
3: Pam,
1: <laughs> Pam. You know?
3: Toby sent me the supercut where he just does it for 10 minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do what we do. I would like us to give our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews for The Thing About Pam, the new podcast from Dateline. But before we give our reviews, I want to give a chance for some special guests to give their reviews to this podcast.
7: Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly.
1: And this is Katie.
7: And we're from a podcast called A Date with Dateline. Rebecca asked us to come on and give a thumbs up or thumbs down review of Dateline's new podcast, The Thing About Pam, as if there was a possibility that we would give it a thumbs down.
5: I feel like we're a strange choice. Does Does
7: she she, listen to us? Does she know what we do here? Mm. I do feel like we're being set up a little and we're going to rave about the podcast and then they're going to cut to Rebecca and Kevin and Toby and Laura and they're going to rip the podcast apart and we're going to look really dumb. But the joke's on you guys because looking dumb is our natural state and we are very comfortable here.
5: Oh, yeah. Also, I hated
2: it.
7: <laughs> Hate. You're just gonna be contrary for try to get Just us. in case. Yeah. You know that our show's called a date with Dateline.
5: Yeah. We we love all things dateline, which means that we are by nature going to love this podcast.
7: So should people check out the thing about Pam? Absolutely. Yeah. Why haven't they already?
5: A
6: plus plus plus.
7: Oh, did we mention it's hosted by Keith Morrison, a man who GQ just called the granddaddy of true crime? A phrase that's both titillating and a little bit creepy. This podcast has a wrongful conviction, mysterious deaths, and a lady named Pam, who is, spoiler alert, a leaky trash bag of a person.
3: Oh, gosh. Pam! 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 <laughs> she
2: she <Sorry>. loves...
3: <laughs> you I just like had to sneak
7: up. an office reference in there. I she did. <gasps> Pam loves doing terrible things and having no consequences for them almost as much as we love Dateline and this podcast. So, thumbs up. To a thing about Pam, I wish I had bigger hands. I have small hands. So my thumbs are small, but I wish I had ginormous Buster from season four of Arrested Development hands, and I could just (laughs) give this giant thumbs up.
5: Your hands are just unnaturally small.
7: They really are.
5: They're like a child.
7: Yeah, it's embarrassing. I can't hold things. Coffee cups are a challenge. Pencils. Thank you guys for listening. You weren't listening.
5: Thank you for asking us to give a review, knowing that it was going to be fully biased. (laughs)
7: and knowing that you guys are probably going to hate it and we're going to love you anyways and still try to convert you into the cult that is Dateline.
5: Yeah, that's true.
1: And yes, of course, as were our friends, Kimberly and Katie from the Date with Dateline podcast, giving their take on whether or not you should listen to The Thing About Pam. All right, so Laura Bricker, when it comes to you, is it thumbs up or thumbs down for you for The Thing About Pam, the new podcast from Dateline? 10 thumbs up for this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. 10. I don't know. I just I loved this so
5: much. I don't know why I loved it so much. But I was like, oh, I can't wait for another episode. And the thing that's awesome is they keep dropping episodes every few days. So you don't even have to wait like a whole week for the next one. So, I mean, by the time this comes out, when our podcast comes out, there may be even more episodes. So
1: I love it. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Thing About Pam from Dateline? Uh,
4: if we had taped yesterday it would have been a thumbs down i seriously was listening to the story and it was just like this is just about a woman who just lies her ass off and that's about it but the most recent episode i think for me saved it so you know it's sort of a tepid thumbs up but the story gets weird in the most recent episode you know it's it's super tight i mean they know how to write these things so you're never confused about anything You're always well-centered in the story. So for all those things, I give it a thumbs up. But, you know, I'm not like a Keith Morrison aficionado, and I found him more of a distraction than a feature.
1: Well, Gemma from our Facebook group says, every time I listen to The Thing About Pam, my inner monologue is narrated by Keith Morrison for approximately four days, (laughs) sometimes five. I got to say, I'm with Gemma on this. I am a huge fan of this podcast. It's fresh. It's new. It's fun. It is... Like crack like, addictive. Like I have to say, it's very seldom because we listen to so many things that like I cannot wait. I'm like, oh, it was a new one today. I was so excited. My work wife Maureen McMurray, I want to give her a shout out. She runs the podcasting unit at NHPR that's responsible for shows like Bearbrook and Patient Zero and Stranglehold and all this like serious content we make. And she posted on our Facebook group today. Sorry, in the dark, but thing about Pam is the best podcast of 2019. (laughs) We just love it. It's very, it's very water coolery. It's the kind of thing you can like you want to listen to it and then talk about with people. It's kind of a fun community experience, kind of like what Dateline is for our friends who make date with Dateline, you know, so I really love it. Big thumbs up for me. Uh, They're using their TV assets really, really well. It's really well written. It's really good. And it is, even though it's about a gruesome topic, it is fun as hell big thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin?
3: I'm also thumbs up. I think that the case is really interesting. It's got a lot of twists and turns, which is the kind of thing you want in a true crime case that you're going to be telling over several episodes. But I think obviously the feature here is the narration of Keith Morrison. He does make it fun and interesting. He brings it alive and elevates the storytelling. I think he really thrives in this podcast format. Because he does the thing that he does so well on television. Oh? Not the thing where he leans up against everything on camera. (laughs) Really? But his narration, he's in on the joke. There is a wink between him and the audience, and he's having fun with it. And so, in a way, we are having fun with it. I can't wait to hear the rest of the episodes. I will definitely be watching the big Dateline television feature where they do all this as a uh, television special and see which version I like best.
1: Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. Of the week. I have not read this yet, but I can tell by looking ahead it's a little bit R-rated, so if you've got kids in the car, you might want to pause and pick up this podcast later. The scene is a quiet retirement community in Stockholm. Neighbors are upset because the newest residents are disturbing everyone's sleep by fucking. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. Some Swedish grandma and grandpa were having such primal ball slapping sex that they were keeping up with the neighborhood. But. What's a retirement community resident to do if their neighbors won't stop the rumpy pumpy, the pickle tickle, or the horizontal hustle? <laughs> well, they do some banging themselves, head banging, that is. The unnamed 81 and 71 year old couple blasted heavy metal music to drown out the sound of them sweeping out the old chimney. It got so bad, police were called and had to force their way into the house. They entered the elderly couple's home while Iron Maiden's afraid to shoot strangers was blaring (laughs) on the stereo. (laughs) It's not clear why an octogenarian would have Iron Maiden in his musical library, whether he had them in his record collection or if he dialed them up on Spotify. Harassment charges against this couple have been dropped. We assume their neighbors will, at some point, be recovering from broken hips. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) panel, this old couple chose Iron Maiden to drown out the sounds of, what, another old couple's fucking? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What song would you use to quell your lusty neighbors? And I would prefer, if you did it, by singing it. Toby Ball, where do you go with that?
4: I guess I would pick Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. (laughs) Sing it, Toby. There's no way I'm fucking singing like uh, Johnny <laughs> <Rotten>. <laughs> You can just imagine what it would be like, and it'll be like 10 times worse.
1: Lara Bricker, what about you? What song would you use to quell your elderly, lusty neighbors?
5: Um, I think they just didn't have the right song to make this episode go a little bit shorter. So here's what I would sing to them. Are you ready? Yep. Yes. Okay. I really do appreciate the fact you're sitting here. Your voice sounds so wonderful, but... But your face don't look too clear, so barmaid, bring—I have no voice—a pitcher, another round of brew, honey. Why don't we
1: get drunk and screw? Very good. <laughs> Very good. Kevin Flynn, what about you? What song would you use to quell your elderly, lusty neighbors? And you have to sing it.
3: It's a small world <laughs> after all. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Well, Kevin, can we just agree to talk about a time that we almost had to do this on the after show?
3: Because of lusty neighbors? Because of
1: lusty neighbors? Absolutely. All right. Well, before we end the show, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week?
5: (coughs) Oh, my God. We have this awesome cat that somebody shared in our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. It is a cat in Brazil who is now a lawyer. His name is Leon... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I saw that. (laughs) He's got a little badge. His name is Leon Advogado. So he is a cat that was hanging outside a law firm, uh, the Order of Attorneys of Brazil, which is pretty much like the Brazilian Bar Association. And people were complaining about him. So they were like, hey, you know what? We're going to hire this cat as a lawyer to stop the complaints. But The cat has an Instagram page where there are many fun photos. And you know what's particularly fun on the Instagram page is to do the translate feature. Anyway, so yeah, I would highly recommend that you go follow. Here it is, Dr. Leon Advogato on Instagram. I'm going to go to his page because he just got his nuts snipped, speaking of sex, so he won't be having (laughs) any. And they have a picture of all of the people at the vet hospital holding him up. (laughs) And then here's what the translation says. I woke up and saw angels on my side. I thought for a second to be in heaven, but they were professionals from the vet center. The surgery, I thank all of my followers for caring. So I will be admitted for a day and soon I will be back. Well, at least part of me will be back, Keith Morrison. Aww. <laughs> I do like his little
1: name badge they gave him for the law firm. It's very but cute. You've
5: got to see the Instagram is fantastic and there's lots of fun posts. I love following cats on Instagram. So that is my recommendation. It's
1: right. I follow like a hundred dogs on Instagram, so I get it, Laura. All right, Laura Bricker. People want to send you their animals or other kinds of creatures to be cat slash dog slash pet of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Tony Ball, folks want to reach out to you and congratulate you on giving Keith Morrison's Dateline podcast a thumbs up. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: At Tobyballnh.
1: And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and give you a big old Twitter hug, how can they find you? Twitter? (laughs) Really? Really?
3: I'm at Kevin P. Flynn.
1: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb LaVoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show on Patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show right now. You also get our spin-offs, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, but not Studio C, the closet where I declare executive privilege every time Kevin Flynn asks to see one of my secret phone call transcripts. Mm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Okay, let's record a podcast in which Toby will be the outlier for not liking... (sighs) Keith Morrison. You don't know that. Oh, my. <laughs>
2: okay. You're making assumptions.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. All I can think about is Keith Morrison's asides. Like, as Toby's talking, like, we should just cut him off. And, Kevin, you could be like, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement.
3: <laughs> Toby Ball wasn't worried about where his next meal was coming from.
2: <laughs> He'd
3: already cooked it. Oh. In a can of Dinty Moore stew. <laughs>
1: this weird
3: shit. He's so fucking weird.
1: I love him. I Here love him. Seeing? I love him too.
2: Partners in crime media.